0: Let us now start with questions to Deputy Prime Minister David Johnson. Question number one, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister.
1: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I have been asked to reply. My right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, is in Washington at the invitation of President Biden. They will be discussing cooperation on a range of issues, including AI and global trade, and of course, Continuing our leadership in galvanising international support for the people of Ukraine. Mr. Speaker, this week is Carers Week. I know that colleagues across the House will wish to join me in paying tribute to the huge contribution unpaid carers make to our society. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. David Johnson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. At the election, the Labour Party committed to abolishing SATS, Academy Schools and Ofsted, three policies given to them by an education union that also opposed this government's use of phonics.
0: Yeah. And yet,
1: thanks to this government's use and focus on phonics, yeah. English primary school children have just been ranked the best readers yeah. in Europe. Yeah. So does my right hon. Friend agree with me this is another example of why on this side of the House we have policy to meet the needs of children rather than meet the
2: demands of trade unions?
1: It won't surprise my hon. Friend to hear that I absolutely agree with him. Driving up literacy rates is central to our plan to grow the economy, so I am delighted at those latest figures showing that children in England are the best readers in the Western world. And Why is that, Mr Speaker? Because since 2010 we have raised the number of schools rated good or outstanding by nearly 30 per cent. And The verdict is clear—only the Conservatives can be trusted with our children's future. Yeah.
0: Debut- Opposition, Angela Rayner. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Speaking of the last election, the Tory manifesto promised to end the abuse of the judicial review. How's it going?
1: (laughs) Well, I I welcome the much shorter question from the Right Honourable Lady today. Let me just remind the Right Honourable Lady of a few facts about the COVID Inquiry. We set up the COVID Inquiry. We have provided it with more than 55,000 documents so far. We have given it all the financial resources it needs so that we can learn the lessons from the pandemic. But Mr Speaker, in Wales, They also had a pandemic. And what have the Labour-run Wales authorities done there? No independent inquiry in Wales. As ever, one rule for Labour and another for everyone
0: else. (laughs) Mr Speaker, he acts like it pretends that it's complicated, but it's simple. They set up the inquiry... To get to the truth, then blocked that inquiry from getting the information that it asked for, and now they're taking it to court. I know he considers himself a man of the people, so using his vast knowledge of working class Britain, does he think working people will thank him for spending hundreds of thousands of pounds of their money on loophole lawyers just so that the government can obstruct the COVID inquiry? Yeah, Deputy Prime Minister.
1: Well, we will provide the inquiry with each and every document related to COVID, including all internal discussions in any form as requested, while crucially protecting what is wholly and unambiguously irrelevant. Because essentially the Right Honourable Lady is calling for years' worth of documents and messages between named individuals to be in scope, and that, Mr Speaker, could cover anything from civil servants' medical conditions to intimate details about their families. But I really will say to the Right Honourable Lady, I find it extraordinary that she should lecture us on value for money for the taxpayer, when I understand she has now purchased two pairs of noise-cancelling headphones on expenses. I will be fair. I will be fair to the right honourable lady. If I had to attend shadow cabinet meetings, I think I'd want to tune them out too.
2: Can can I just say that Deputy Prime Minister was very good saying he was welcoming short questions. I'd also welcome shorter answers.
0: Answers. Mr. Speaker, all we're asking for is what the COVID inquiry has asked for. And across the world, COVID inquiries are well underway. While his government hides information and shells out public money on legal bills for the Oxbridge One, the former Prime Minister is now demanding another million to pay for his new lawyers. Now I know the honourable gentleman and his former boss has fallen out and maybe he wants to patch things up, but can he seriously say this is a good use of taxpayers'
1: money. Yes. Deputy Prime well, Minister. I, if we want to talk about uh, relationships between, between different people, I don't think we need to search her WhatsApp messages to know that there's no communication between her and the leader of her party. And I will happily happily stand up for our record on COVID because when she and her party were carping from the sidelines calling for longer lockdowns, I was working as Culture Secretary to keep our football clubs running. To protect our theatres and museums and deliver the largest cultural recovery package in the Western world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the difference between her and me, Mr. Speaker. While she was collecting titles,
0: I was getting on with the job.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Mr. Speaker, I know for the last couple of years he's been trying to prep PM, prime ministers for this, but these punchlines are dire. He really <laughs> needs to go back to school himself. And speaking of school, thousands of children are missing from school. Absence has nearly doubled since before the pandemic. The Prime Minister says he's maxed out on his support for school pupils. But why did the Government abandon its plans for a register of missing children?
1: Deputy Prime Minister. Well, on the specifics of the Right Honourable Lady's question, that is not the case, and we continue to keep the policy Under review. And what I would say is, I am am very proud of this government's record on funding and support for schools. £4 billion more this year. £4 billion pounds next year, and the result of all of that investment is we have the highest standards of reading in the entire Western world. What a contrast from when the party opposite were in power. Yay!
2: Angela Rayner.
0: So there we have it Mr Speaker, thousands of children missing under review still. So let me ask him about another uh, something else that has gone missing. The Public Accounts Committee this week revealed that the Government's fraud increased fourfold. With Ministers overseeing the loss of £21 billion of taxpayers' money in the last two years, can he tell us how much of our money they expect to recover? Deputy Prime Minister.
1: Well, Mr Speaker, we are working tirelessly to recover those funds and, have made, and we have made huge progress already. But again, if the party opposite wants to talk about about good use of taxpayers' money, what do we have from the party opposite plans for an unfunded £28 billion spending spree? And what would that do? Drive up borrowing, push up interest rates, adding £1,000 to everyone's mortgage. Mr Speaker, I know they're out of touch, but even she must realise that Britain cannot afford Labour. Yeah.
0: Angela Roma. Mr Speaker, Britain can't afford any more of the Conservatives. Yeah. And he seems to have lost count. The answer is a quarter. Only a quarter of the billions of pounds of taxpayers' yeah. money lost to fraud is expected to be clawed back. If this government can't get the public money back, they can't be trusted with anything else. Yes. Yeah. It's become a pattern of behaviour from the Conservatives, an inquiry missing the evidence, schools missing their pupils, taxpayers missing their money and ministers missing in action. Yeah. And all the while, working people pay the price for their mistakes. This week, the Public Accounts Committee also warned that this epic fraud and waste could happen all over again due to the Ministers living in denial of the facts. If his Government can't admit the truth, then how on earth can they learn the lessons?
2: The Prime Minister.
1: Well, I would say to the right and lady we are actually putting more resources in throughout this year to tackle fraud and error, and we continue to make real progress with it. But Again, it's, it's quite extraordinary from the, from, the, from the party opposite. While we are working to drive down inflation and energy bills, what, what's the Right Honourable Lady doing? Receiving £10,000 from Just Stop Oil backers. Adopting their policies, backing protesters, blocking new production, and forcing us to import more foreign oil and gas do you know what for once mr speaker i find myself in agreement with the gmb union yeah. what did they say it's naive lacks intellectual rigor and could decimate communities just like labor yeah. thank you mr speaker the the latest routes update for East-West Rail has recently been published and, unfortunately, the link to Aylesbury is still just a dotted line on the map. Now, I have raised the need for this vital link on several occasions in the House because it will cut congestion on our roads, it will stimulate the economy and it will reduce air pollution. Each time I have been asked to work with stakeholders to reduce the cost, I am really pleased to say we have managed to do that. There is now a much cheaper proposal on the table. So can my right hon. Friend now please change that dotted line into a solid line and give my constituents the railway they do want? I know my hon. Friend is an absolutely tireless campaigner for this project, and I can assure him that the Department for Transport is working with Network Rail and the East-West Rail Company to consider the feasibility of lower-cost railway links. On the Aylesbury Spur, and I know that he will continue to make that case very, very vigorously.
0: We now come to the Deputy Leader of the SNP, Murray Black.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. When the Prime Minister took office, he said he would put economic stability and confidence at the heart of this government. Today, UK interest rates are one of the highest in the G20, and mortgage rates are rising nearly back to where they were after the former PM crashed the economy. Is it not the case that this government's biggest achievement is that they're trashing the economy just a wee bit slower than their predecessor?
1: Well, I don't know whether the Honourable Lady had been following the news today, but actually, again, the OECD upgraded our growth forecasts. And really, one one month ago, The whole nation came together celebrating that wonderful moment of pomp, pageantry and pride in our nation. And what did the the Honourable Lady describe it as? I quote, I quote, Mr Speaker, a pantomime. Well, the real pantomime is the SNP in Scotland.
2: I do not know what question the Deputy Prime Minister was asking, but let me try another one. The government plans, This government plans to cut taxes for the richest, spend £6 billion imprisoning people fleeing war and persecution, and has lost £21 billion to government fraud throughout this pandemic. Is the view from the prime minister's luxury helicopter so skewed that during a cost of living crisis yeah, yeah. he thinks this Absolutely. is what people's priorities are? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: I'm, I'm going to take no lectures on profligacy from the from, from the SNP. And actually, what what is it that this government has done? We have provided record increases to the personal allowance, meaning that a person working full time on the minimum wage has seen a £1,000 reduction in their tax. Well uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, Fylde uh, you know, Fyld has many vibrant small shops that are the beating heart of the economy, mm. but St Anne's Town Centre has got fantastic potential, but its layout quite frankly, is becoming tired. Investment is needed to reinvigorate the town centre, better connecting it to the seafront and reinvigorate the town. What steps are my right hon. Friend taking to continue this government's levelling up mission to deliver for towns like St. Anne's?
0: Deputy Prime Minister.
1: Well, that's precisely why uh, we've created the levelling up fund. And there's 3.6 billion pounds within that in the town's fund. Be invested in high streets up and down the country. and We will be outlining the third round of submissions to that fund. I am quite sure my hon. Friend will make a very vigorous case for his constituency for funding during that round. Uh, David.
2: <laughs> Speaker, yesterday
1: I met Karen. Karen is a carer for her husband, Alan, who has Parkinson's and Lewy body dementia. Karen told me how hard
2: it is to get people with power Just to listen to her. (laughs) Like so many carers, Karen feels her caring work just isn't valued. At times she's wanted to give up, but knows she must carry on because of her husband.
1: Mr. Speaker, remarkable carers like Karen save the government more than the entire NHS budget. So will the government finally recognise the value of Britain's family carers and not just pay tribute to them? but give them the financial and practical support they deserve.
0: Deputy Prime Minister.
1: Well, of course I would like to join the Right Honourable Gentleman in paying tribute to, to Karen and to hard-working, unpaid carers up and down the country. And I know the Right Honourable Gentleman speaks from personal experience about this as well, we have provided £2.3 billion worth of support for social care, an additional £25 million committed to putting people at the heart of care in the Heart of Care White Paper, and £327 million is also committed to the Better Care Fund.
2: Alberto Costa. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Many of my constituents are deeply concerned about the proposals for the 440-acre Hinckley National Rail Freight Interchange and the impact that this proposed site has on the environment and, for example, on infrastructure like Narborough railway station. Now, I know the Deputy Prime Minister cannot talk about an individual planning
1: application that is for central government to make, but can he give an assurance to my South Leicestershire constituents, to Blaby District Council, like Councillor Ben
2: Taylor, Councillor Maggie Wright, Terry Richardson, Mike Shirley and others, that the voice of my constituents will be heard in this planning application? Prime yes. Minister.
1: Well, I know from the, the vigorous campaigning of the Honourable Gentleman that his constituents' voice has been and will be heard. As he knows, I can't comment on individual cases. What I can say, Mr Speaker, is I have experience of this in my own constituency as well, and I know what a blight can be provided by those rail freight projects. So I do have every sympathy for the case that he is making.
2: Money, yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Deputy Prime Minister, this week we heard plans for two universal basic income pilots in England. There have been similar schemes planned for Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. With the progress of the gig economy and the acceleration of artificial intelligence, it is clear that the working environment will need drastically overhauled. Will this government waken up to the reality of the situation and instruct both the DWP and HMRC to engage with these pilots? so we can constructively assess the pros and cons and what to safeguard a less precarious future for the next generation. Well, Mr. Speaker, the Prime
1: Minister The Government and I have never been uh, convinced about the case for a universal basic income. We are not alone in that. It is also the position of Paul Johnson at the IFS. I think a much better solution is to create more jobs, which this Government has done, and cut taxes on working people, which is what this Government has done. That is the route for prosperity for people up and down the country. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Revitalising Old Way, regenerating our town centres and helping Torbay's high-tech sector to grow would deliver levelling up for Torbay. What expectations does he have of the new levelling up partnership in focusing Government effort and resources on doing this? Deputy Prime Minister. Well, as I am sure my hon. Friend knows, uh, levelling up partnerships are committed to work hand in hand, with 20 places across England in most need of that levelling up. They are backed by £400 million worth of investment and I know that my hon. Friend will make the case most robustly for funding for his constituency. Thank
0: you very much, Mr Speaker. After 13 years, the Government has repeatedly broken its promise to repair social care. Post-pandemic, I have been visiting sheltered housing schemes in Hornsey and Wood Green, and time after time, basic services—dentistry, podiatry, befriending—are all missing. Will the government take urgent action and repair this mess, or will it be down to Labour again to pick up the pieces? Well,
1: for the NHS as a whole, this government has provided record additional funding. And indeed, since we came to power in 2010, funding is up £70 billion. And in addition, in respect of social care, My right honourable friend, the Chancellor, has provided a further £2.3 billion worth of support to this vital sector.
2: Dave Andreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I congratulate the government for its determination to bring forward the rollout of electronic patient records for everyone in England. And can I ask my right honourable friend to confirm that this gives us a brilliant opportunity to roll out the digital version of the Red Book that is so transformational for every family in giving their baby the best start for life? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Prime Minister.
1: I totally agree with my right and friend, and I know what a tireless campaigner she has been on this issue, both in and out of Government, and yes, I am I'm happy to confirm that the so-called digital Red Book will be rolled out, and we expect it to be delivered over the course of the next two years. Gavin Newland yeah, yeah.
2: Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. The Deputy Prime Minister likes to call himself Mr Normal. He went to a normal school, and he understands normal people. We know that normal people are struggling in this Tory cost of living crisis. People like nurses, who he said had unreasonable wage demands. Ah. This is the same person who, on top of his £154,000 salary, charged two businesses over £13,000 for just 20 hours' work. Ah. That's £670 per hour. Does Mr. Norman really think he's worth 65 times a band two nurse? Ah. I'm
1: not quite sure what the the, the question was aiming at, but I can say to the. What I, can, what I can say, what I can say to the, the honourable gentleman, is actually this government has provided over £3,000 worth of support to help people through the cost of living. And why have we been able to do that? Thanks to the strength of our economy and the strength of our union. And what's happening in Scotland? The SNP government are putting taxes up on ordinary hardworking people. Thank Drummond.
2: Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. And we're all concerned about the 81,000 children that are not in the school register and under the term home-educated. And no one, not local authorities, all schools can honestly answer the question: How many children are not in school? Therefore, how can we know that every child is safe and suitably educated? These children are out of sight and out of mind. The Secretary of State for Education has said that this is one of her priorities, as had the Education Select Committee. So, can I ask my right honourable friend to expedite my 10 minute rule bill to place a duty on local authorities to maintain a register of children who are not in school so that we can ensure that every child is visible, safe, suitably educated, and receiving the support to enable them to thrive?
1: Mr. Speaker, we do want to ensure that all children are safe and have access to an excellent education. And of course, uh, local authorities must seek to identify children missing in their area and ensure that they are safe. The Department for Education continues to undertake work to support swifter identification and greater support of children missing in education.
2: Well, in spite of government spin to the contrary, the backlog of undetermined initial asylum claims has risen even since December from 160,000 to 170,000-plus. Caseworker numbers are down. Returns are still down. So will the deputy prime minister agree to meet me to hear my constituents' concerns about the home secretary's plans to commandeer yet another hotel, the Stradi Park, in the village of Furness, and explain what more he will do to speed up clearing the backlog so as to return people to safe countries, settle genuine refugees, and avoid the need to use the Stradi Park hotel? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Deputy Prime Minister. This government will take whatever action is necessary, both to clear the backlog and to stop the boats. And actually, as she may have heard from the right, my right rightful friend, the Prime Minister, small boat arrivals to the UK are actually down 20% this year. Our French deal has prevented 33,000 illegal crossings this year. Albanian arrivals are down 90%. We've removed 1,800 Albanians. We've increased the number of illegal working raids, and the legacy asylum backlog is now down 20%. A bit more.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Samina Halliwell, a 12-year-old girl in my constituency, suffered an horrific ordeal. She tragically then went on to take her own life. She was let down by the system. This, is, this week is
1: the two-year anniversary of her death. Labour-controlled Sefton Council have still got an inadequate rating from Ofsted for children's social care. So will my right hon. Friend meet with me to discuss what further measures can be taken to better protect children
2: in Southport and the wider Council area? Deputy Prime Minister.
1: I congratulate my hon. Friend for for raising what I am sure Members on both sides of this House will agree is a heartbreaking case. And I know that all our thoughts will be with Samina, her family and her friends. Uh, all children, of course, have the right to be safe and protected. I understand that the Department for Education will shortly begin consulting on strengthening statutory guidance to ensure health agencies, police forces, and councils work together more collaboratively and end decision that puts children's needs uh, that prevent putting children's needs at the heart of their work. Of course, I am very happy to meet with the honourable gentleman and for the health department ministers to meet with
2: him also. Hilary Benn. Very much indeed, Mr. Speaker. Huntington's disease eventually robs sufferers of their ability to walk, talk, eat, care for themselves and make decisions. It changes the person they were and has a 50% chance of being inherited by their children. Will the government back the Huntington's disease community's call for better access to mental health services? A care coordinator in every area and specific nice guidelines so that everyone affected by this devastating condition can get the help they need. I completely
1: agree with the right honourable gentleman about the devastating impact of this terrible disease. It is the case that we have increased significantly investment in, investment in mental health. Uh, I, of course, am happy to arrange for. Department of Health Ministers to meet with him to discuss this further. Simon Baines. Thank you, yeah. Mr Speaker.
0: Yeah.
2: Wales is the land of song, and there is no better example of this than John's Boy's male chorus from Rose and Cluid South, yeah. who have performed magnificently in the recent series of Britain's Got Talent, yeah. moving Bruno Tonioli and the other um, judges to tears. Would the Deputy Prime Minister join with me in congratulating the choir and also the other many community choirs, including South and across the UK, who bring such pleasure to the singers and audiences alike?
0: The Prime
1: Minister I would actually argue that um, choral music is possibly one of our greatest contributions to global culture, and I really do join my hon. Friend in congratulating John Boy's male chorus for their fantastic achievement in reaching the semi-final of Britain's Got Talent, and I'm sure that they will continue to entertain and engage communities for many years to come. Paula Barker.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The government's post of anti-corruption champion has been vacant for over a year. Does the Deputy Prime Minister think the vacancy increases or decreases the risk of corruption in government? <laughs>
1: Deputy Prime Minister. Well, in my department, the the, the Cabinet Office, and working very closely with my right hon. Friend, the Paymaster-General, we are taking extensive steps to make sure we crack down on fraud and waste and make sure that procurement is transparent, and of course we will be filling that vacancy very shortly. Gareth Bacon.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, The government do not have any money of their own. Every penny they spend is taxpayers' money, including money spent supporting the economy uh, during the pandemic. So, in that light, would my right honourable friend agree with me that it would be disgraceful for a political party to accept huge donations from a company that was simultaneously claiming hundreds of thousands of pounds of public support during furlough?
1: I, of course, completely agree with my honourable friends. And actually, the, the scheme, the, the furlough scheme, helped protect around four, 14.6 million jobs during that terrible COVID crisis. But what do we discover? Labour's taking 1.5 million from Just Stop Oil backers, adopting their policy to block new oil and gas. It's job-destroying recklessness, and it's hard-working people, unfortunately, Mr. Speaker, who will be left paying the price. Ashley Dalton,
0: Speaker. In West Lancashire, my constituents are concerned about their children's education and specifically the ongoing long-term impact of COVID-19 restrictions on their children's educational development. Now, a Public Accounts Committee report out today finds that the Department for Education is failing to take fast and effective recovery action to close the attainment gap in schools And the department has admitted that it will take a decade, 10 years, just to get the education attainment gap back to (coughs) pre-pandemic levels. So when will the government stop blaming everyone else and take responsibility for failing a generation of lost learners? Actually,
1: before COVID struck, the attainment gap between disadvantaged pupils and their peers had narrowed in both primary and secondary uh, schools under this government. Since COVID struck, we've provided almost £5 billion in education recovery. And I would say to the Honourable Lady, if she's that concerned about children's education, she b- should be calling on the education unions to call off their damaging strikes. <laughs>
0: The yeah, Thank you very much yeah, yeah, indeed, yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker. Yeah. Mortby Town Council and Mortby Main FC, who play at the miners' recreation ground, are fighting
2: to make sure that the ground is financially sustainable and can stay open. But CISRO, who run it, has a history of selling off unprofitable areas to developers and will not allow a full bar to be open, which provide much-needed capital, which has the support of the Council residents. Spaces like recreation grounds are important parts of our mining heritage. So can my right hon. Friend step in to help Mortby, Main get the bar that it needs and to help secure the financial future of this ground, to ensure it does not face the same fate
0: as the Dingington and Miners' Welfare Recreation Ground?
1: Yeah.
2: Deputy Prime Minister.
0: Well,
1: may I offer my strongest support to my hon. Friend's uh, campaign? I think he's absolutely right to raise it. Uh, I do question the, the extent of my powers to intervene on a bar closure in his constituency, but I will certainly examine what we could do further. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. The East-West Rail announcement proposes a six-track route which will impact at least 66 properties in Bedford, including the demolition of 37 homes. So, Will the Deputy Prime Minister tell me why resident concerns have been ignored, and will he give me a commitment today that, if the majority of the residents are against the plan, in this statutory consultation, his government will not approve the proposal?
0: Of, Prime Minister.
1: of course, we will engage with local communities. But I, I do find it rather odd that the party opposite have been saying for the past few months about how they want to build more housing, build more infrastructure, and then, as soon as there is a, a proposal to do so, which will enormously enrich that area, it's being opposed. Mr. Robert Neal, thank you,
2: Mr. Yeah, yeah. Speaker. The Deputy Prime Minister will know that the calling of an early election in Spain has caused some concern about delay to achieving a treaty between the United Kingdom and the European yeah, Union yeah. in relation to Gibraltar. Will he confirm that it remains the policy of Her Majesty's Government to prioritise achieving such a treaty once the outcome of the election is known and that the Government will do all that is necessary to secure that treaty for the benefit of Gibraltar and its Spanish neighbours and to give all the necessary support to Gibraltar and its British people for their future security and prosperity?
0: Deputy Prime Minister
1: well, I can assure my hon. Friend that the United Kingdom and His Majesty's Government remain steadfast in its support for Gibraltar. And I can assure my hon. Friend that we are working side by side with the Government of Gibraltar and we remain committed to concluding that UK-EU treaty as soon as possible.
0: Final question, Flair Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Today, the OECD have said that the UK is on course to have the higher rate of inflation than almost all of the other G20 countries. It's families in Putney and up and down the country who will be suffering because of this. Will the Deputy Prime Minister finally commit to introducing a proper windfall tax on the enormous profits of the oil and gas giants and take pressure off struggling households? (laughs) Deputy Prime Minister.
1: Well, we actually introduced a bigger windfall tax than the Labour Party were proposing thanks to that 75% windfall tax. Last winter, we paid half of people's energy bills, and she talks about the OECD. What she failed to mention was that the OECD today gave the highest upgrade of growth to the United Kingdom compared to any other country. These questions?